Here's a question for you. Is belief in the Bible reasonable? That was the subject of a debate that I did with self-proclaimed atheist Ken Leonard back in 2020, and it's what we're talking about today. In my opening statement in that debate with Mr. Leonard, I shared three facts about the Bible. These facts prove not only why faith in the Bible is reasonable, but why rejecting the Bible in favor of atheism makes it impossible to reason in the first place. I'm going to share those three facts with you, and if you commit them to memory, they will help you answer this challenge with extreme confidence. This is Worldview Legacy, the podcast from the Think Institute that helps Christian men become the worldview leaders their families and churches need. My name is Joel Sedecase. I am a former pastor and missionary, and now I'm the executive director of the Think Institute. When I started seminary on my way to earning my master's in philosophy of religion, I was a guy who used to defend my faith the completely wrong way. Then God changed my attitude and my approach. And now I help believers to talk about their faith and pass it on to the younger generation and answer the world's questions about the Bible with confidence. So is faith in the Bible reasonable? As someone who wants to lead your family in believing and living out the biblical faith, this has to be hugely important to you as it is to me. And once you're able to answer this question, it's going to help you articulate your faith in God's word, whether you're having a conversation with a coworker or involved in a formal debate. It'll even help you out the next time when your kids ask you, Dad, why do we believe in the Bible, that it's true, that it's from God? My goal today is to help you understand God's word better and to increase your confidence in explaining why you believe it and to see Jesus change lives as you share your faith with others in your local area. If you've ever felt stumped, even for a moment, when someone, whether an atheist or anyone else who doesn't believe in Jesus, challenged your Christian faith, this episode is for you. And if you have non-Christians in your life whom you are praying for and working at evangelizing, this is going to be for you too. In this episode, we're going to answer these specific questions. What are the three R's of reasonability? Why is belief in the Bible reasonable? Why does denying the Bible make reason impossible? And what are the three facts that will stop you getting stumped about your faith in the Bible? Now, if you find this entertaining and inspiring and you want to be able to ask questions about it, get more information, let me tell you about the community that is filled with like-minded Christian laymen on the same journey that you're on. This is the group where you can discuss and learn from over 700 others on the same journey that you're on. Every day, we're finding answers to important questions and sharing resources that will help you understand and live out God's unique calling on your life as a worldview leader. I'm going to tell you about how to get access to that group after this show. So we're talking about atheists. We're going to compare worldviews today between biblical Christianity and atheism. Now, there are different flavors of atheism, all of them distasteful, if you ask me, but in general, they all believe that there is no God. Now, atheists may say that they lack belief in gods or something like that, but in the Bible, God says that the particular God of the Bible, the triune God of Scripture, has given everyone enough evidence, and that men know him, and they are without excuse. So if they lack belief in that God, they are saying that the God who has given sufficient evidence to all men doesn't exist. That's a positive statement. 
we're going to compare Christianity and atheism, which denies God, and see whether the belief in the Bible is reasonable. And along the way, we're going to see if disbelief in the Bible in the form of atheism is reasonable or unreasonable. So first, what would it mean for something to be unreasonable? It would have to violate the conditions that make something reasonable. What are those conditions? There are three components of reasonability as I see it. We can call these the three R's, the rules of reason, the reality around us, and the reliability of our reasoning or our capacities. Let's talk about the rules. These are the laws of logic, the inescapable truths about truths, as James Anderson, James Anderson and Greg Welty call them. These are the laws that govern our thoughts. Our beliefs must adhere to the laws of logic in order to be reasonable. We also have an obligation to be reasonable and to use our faculties, our capabilities, according to the laws of logic in order to come to true conclusions about the world. So that's the first component, the rules. There's the laws of logic, and then there's a moral obligation to be reasonable. That's one thing that the atheist and the Christian agree upon in this discussion is it would be wrong to intentionally misrepresent the other person. It would be wrong to intentionally invoke a contradiction. These would be violating the rules of reasonability. The second component then is reality. The reality around us, the external world, the real world about which we are trying to think true thoughts and acquire true beliefs using our reasoning. It's like that old X-Files slogan. You remember that show? The truth is out there. The truth is out there. There is a world out there and we can know true things about it. You take away reality, you take away the rules, reasonableness goes out the window. It doesn't exist. It's meaningless. So you've got rules, you've got reality. What's the third R? The third R is reliability. The reliability of human reasoning for producing true beliefs in appropriate circumstances. We expect that we'll be able to plug in data from the world and to chug out true conclusions about it. Now, in order to do this, to use our reasoning in this way, we have to assume that our ability to reason, our five senses, our intuition, these things are going to be reliable from one moment to the next. We have to assume that. For faith in the Bible to be unreasonable, remember, that's what we're trying to figure out. What would it be to be unreasonable? Faith in the Bible would have to break or undermine or invalidate the three R's, the rules, the reality, and the reliability. On the other hand, atheism would be unreasonable if it breaks or undermines or invalidates the rules, the reality, and the reliability of reasoning. So we're comparing worldviews today, and we're going to see which one is reasonable. Now, let's walk through our three facts. If you commit these to memory, I'll tell you again, you will never need to feel stumped when asked about whether your faith in the Bible is reasonable. All right? Here's the first fact. The Bible explains the rules of reasonableness. The Bible explains the rules of reasonableness. Now, remember what those rules are. Laws of logic and moral obligations. What are the laws of logic? The laws of logic are the law of identity, non-contradiction, and excluded middle. 
So the law of identity, a thing is what it is. That's a law of logic. It seems so simple that it's almost pointless to even say it, but a thing is what it is. A is A. I am me. You are you. This mug is this mug. That's the law of identity. Very simple. The second law of logic is the law of non-contradiction. And what that means is this, a proposition cannot be both true and false in the same way at the same time. A cannot be not A in the same way at the same time. So if I said this mug, I'm holding up a mug right now, is this mug. And this mug is not this mug. One of those statements has to be false and the two statements together must be be false. The, the, the proposition that both of these propositions are true is false. Contradictions are necessarily false. And then thirdly, the law of excluded middle. A proposition is either true or false, nothing in between. Now, there are other laws, logical principles that are true, that must be true, like laws of proper inference. So like a proposition is true if it logically follows from another true proposition. We can get into modus ponens, modus tollens. These are different forms of argument that are based on the laws of logic. But regardless, however you slice it, we're talking about invisible propositions, rules about thought, uh, laws of thought that must be true. If they're not true, then something could be reasonable and unreasonable in the same way at the same time. Both the atheist and the Christian disagree on that. That's why we're even having this conversation. So laws of logic are some of those rules of reasonableness. And yes, the Bible explains the rules of reasonableness. Before I explain why, let's talk about the laws of morality or moral obligation, like the obligation to be reasonable in a debate with an atheist. The obligation that we have not to be arbitrary, not to lie or intentionally straw man my opponent's viewpoint. The fact that we have these moral obligations, this speaks to the moral character of human beings. Moral norms are not a foreign language to us. Even if we disagree from one society to the other or from one person to the next about what those obligations are, we are moral beings. So when we, have, when we say we have an obligation to keep our word, we bring that category, we bring that moral obligation into the debate. The atheist and the Christian both have to agree that we're not going to lie to each other. We're not going to straw man each other's positions. We recognize that there's an obligation to be reasonable and to use reason to access the truth. You ought to believe true things. So uh, this is a rule. We ought to be reasonable. So think about these laws. We've talked about logic. We've talked about moral obligations. What are these laws? What are these rules like? Now, if you're listening to this and you're going, fine, logic, morality, all good. How does the Bible explain these things? I know you're thinking this right now. Let me explain why. Think about what these laws are like. First of all, are they made of matter? Can you hand me a bucket of non-contradiction? No, they're not made of matter. They are immaterial. They are thoughts. They're non-material. They're mental. That's one. Two, they are unchanging. The laws of logic have always been true. They will always be true. 
moral obligations have always been true. They will always be true. For example, it's always wrong to intentionally misrepresent your opponent in a debate. That's that's wrong. All other things being equal. Let me just qualify with that because some of you are going, well, I can think of a time when it might be okay. Listen, all other things being equal, that is always moral. These moral truths and logical truths are universal. They're true in Antarctica and at the North Pole. They're true in Australia. Shout out to our Australian listeners. And they're true in the United States and in Europe and in Asia and everywhere else. They're true on Mars. Furthermore, they are knowable. We know them. Here we are talking about them. We could recognize them. We can discern them from the world around us and even from our own minds. We have this knowledge. They're knowable. And they are, furthermore, they are united and they are diverse. Think about the laws of logic. You've got three laws of logic. Together they are logic. And yet there's three of them. Neither one of them, none of them is more logically important than the others. They're all equal, equally ultimate, and yet they are diverse within themselves, among themselves. So what should we do here? We've got, um, we've got these laws, these immaterial, unchanging, universal, knowable, united yet diverse laws. And let's see if Christianity can account for these laws. And then we're going to compare atheism and see if atheism can explain these laws. Okay. How about immaterial? What does it mean for something to be immaterial, not made of matter? Well, according to the Christian worldview, laws of logic are grounded not in my mind or your mind, but in the mind of God. You see, God is immaterial. God is spirit. John 4, 24 says that. Or uh, we could go to the next criterion. These laws are unchanging. They are invariant. Hmm. Isn't God unchanging and invariant? Malachi 3, 6, Psalm 90, verse 2, Jeremiah 33, 25. All these verses say, yes, God is unchanging. These laws are universal. They are true everywhere. So if they're going to be grounded in something immaterial, that immaterial entity, that mind must be extant must be everywhere. Is God everywhere? Psalm 139 verses 7 through 10 talks beautifully about how it's impossible to escape from God. And you can go to the depths, you can go to the furthest shore, you can go up to the heavens. God is everywhere. So God can ground and explain and be the foundation of universal laws. Now, uh, these laws are also knowable. God is knowable. God reveals himself to us. Colossians 2, 2 and 3, Romans 11, 36, Daniel 4, 34 through 36. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament prophets over and over and over, you will hear the Lord say, then they will know that I am the Lord or I am Yahweh. God wants us to know him. He reveals himself to us. And of course, the greatest revelation in the Christian worldview of God comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came into the earth, into the world, onto the earth, into the world, to be to reveal God to us. God wants us to know him. And these laws are one and diverse. God is one, there is one God, and yet within the one God, within his unity, there are three persons three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God is one and God is diverse within himself. 
So the biblical worldview perfectly explains the rules of reasonableness. What about the moral obligations that we have? Well, God is good. God is the ground of morality. In fact, God is by definition perfectly moral. So the biblical worldview does explain the rules of reasonableness. But let's take this a step further. Does belief in the Bible undercut these rules? Well, what about logic? Are there logical contradictions in the Bible? Many atheists and skeptics have tried to demonstrate that there are. However, every attempt ultimately fails. In fact, by definition, God is the perfect logical standard. So any perceived contradiction must have an explanation. This is not a weakness. It's not a cop-out. It's actually a strength in our biblical worldview. The same goes for morality. Does God and um, his word, do they violate moral principles, mores, objective morality? Well, no, God by definition is perfectly good. Any perceived contradiction in God's morality or violation of morality by God only reveals an insufficiency or a deficiency in our own sense of morality. You might say, well, that's awfully convenient, isn't it? God's always right. It's true. I don't know if it's overly convenient for those of us who sometimes like to sin. I would say that it's not very convenient to always be wrong when you disagree with God. And yet it's good. Let God be true and every man be a liar. That's part of our worldview. So does the biblical worldview violate the rules of reasonability? No, it doesn't. In fact, it provides the very basis for those rules and does not violate them. Now, what about atheism, on the other hand? Atheism must account for these laws, given its own principles. So atheism, the atheistic worldview, needs to account for immaterial laws in, in a material universe, if the atheist is a materialist. The atheist must account for unchanging laws in a world in which all is constantly in flux, all is changing. The atheist must account for laws that are universal, that are knowable to us, and that are both one and diverse. And one of the great philosophical problems is the problem of the one and the many. It's unsolvable without the triune God. How does the atheist propose to do this? Well, I'll give you a spoiler alert. It, it can't be done given atheism. So the atheist is really... Uh, really up a creek here, trying to make sense of reasonability and why it's even a thing. Christianity, on the other hand, biblical Christianity is strong. We can be confident in it. And not only does it apply, not only does it explain reasonability and provide the criteria for reasonability, but it doesn't violate those criteria either. Now, the atheist might say, might take issue with the fact that you've brought up these rules. He might say, oh, there's no obligation to actually follow these rules. But if this is the case, then in your discussion with the atheist, you'd be free to lie, cheat, steal, kill, and contradict yourself as much as you want in order to win the debate. And so would he be. But then that's not really a debate, is it? That's animal behavior. That's not rational. That's not reasonable. If you're just free to contradict yourself on purpose, as long as you don't get caught and then win, that's not a reasonable debate. That's not reasonable behavior. And, and you know what? Given atheism, even if you did get caught, so what? There are no rules that meet this criteria given atheism. So you as a Christian could easily break all these rules and win. But of course, being a Christian, you can't do that. 
And the atheist can't do that either. Otherwise, there's really no debate. If the atheist says, no, that behavior would be wrong, then he admits that there is an obligation to be reasonable and to follow these rules. And he then has to explain how these rules are even a thing given his atheism. And it can't be done. Now, so much for the first truth, the first um, fact. What about the second fact? The Bible, here it is. The Bible explains the reality around us. The Bible explains the reality around us. For reasonableness to be a meaningful concept, there must be an actual external reality that both exists and is intelligible to us, meaning we can we can reason about it and come to know true propositions about it. Yet again, we see that the Bible makes sense of this. In fact, this is exactly what the Bible teaches. Genesis 1 verse 1 says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is a real thing. It's a real place. We live in a real reality that is created by God. Genesis 1.27 says that God made man and woman in his own image. We are rational creatures. We can rationally make conclusions and come to true beliefs about the world. Job 12, 12 verse 7 uh, through 10 teaches the value of zoology, studying animals. In fact, we see that in Genesis 1 and 2 as well. Psalm 19 verse 1 tells us the value of astronomy, gaining truth from the cosmos. Psalm 111 exhorts us to study history. Uh, Romans 120 conveys the theological knowledge that is given by the study of the world around us. Why do I mention all this? Because I'm, I'm making the case that the Bible supports the existence of the external world and the possibility of knowing true things about it. Isn't that cool? Now, given an atheistic situation, we have no access to the universe, not as it is. Why do I say this? Because David Hume, that famous skeptic, back in 1740, he dismantled many of the assumptions that the Enlightenment thinkers held about scientific knowledge uh, from a, a godless worldview. David Hume even denied the reality of induction. Induction is when you take a limited sample size, uh, a set of facts, and from that you come up with conclusions about reality as such or about the whole. So you're taking a small sample and you're reasoning about the whole. Hume dismantled our ability to do that in a godless universe back in 1740. Unfortunately, many modern atheists haven't gotten that memo. Similarly, Immanuel Kant, have you ever heard of him? Somewhat ob obscure in terms of popular thinking, but hugely important in terms of the history of philosophy. Kant really put the nail in the coffin of being able to reason about the external world from a godless perspective because he reasoned quite apart from a Christian starting point, by the way, that we can only know the phenomena, not the noumena. We can only know the phenomena, which means the world as it appears to us, as our minds perceive it, we have no direct interaction with or knowledge of the noumena, the thing in itself, what Kant, the German, called der Ding an. I probably butchered that, but bear with me. Now, the biblical worldview provides an accounting of and, and an explanation for why we have an experience of the external world. 
and it, it's because we're really there. We're really existing in this external world. We are there. It is around us and we are designed to interact with it and to have real knowledge of it. The Bible teaches us that the Bible makes sense of the existence of the external world. The Bible says we can know true things about reality. So the Bible actually gives the explanation and the for the condition of reasonable reasonableness that is the external world. And the and uh, the uh, the Bible also doesn't violate that condition as well. When we start with the Bible and we read it, and uh, here I've got a Bible right here. This is my Charles Spurgeon Study Bible. It's a CSB translation, good translation. When I read the Bible, it agrees with my experience of reality. And you might say, but that's crazy. The Bible's filled with all these miracles. Yes, it is. But in the Bible, I find a world that is governed by a God who is both perfectly consistent and faithful and also is able to reach into his creation and intervene. So the atheist is going to point to crazy stories, supposedly, like Jesus walking on water, Jonah being swallowed by a fish or a, a, a Katos sea monster. I talked about that in a previous episode. And he's going to go, ah, see, the Bible's filled with outlandish, mythical, fairy tale like stories. It can't be trusted. They're, they're implausible. Well, plausibility really depends on your worldview. From a Christian perspective, there's regularity in the universe. There's a faithfulness or reliableness to the world that makes miracles weird. Of course, everyone was astonished when Jesus turned water into wine or when Jesus calmed the storm. That's weird because we don't live in a random chance universe. We live in a universe that is governed by reliable rules, laws, and from a Christian perspective, a faithful God. However, from an atheist perspective, crazy stories are no problem, right? Because we live in a random chance governed universe. So if water turns to wine every now and then, or if a man can walk on water, why is that a problem? The presence of miracles in the Bible is nothing for Christians to be embarrassed about. On the other hand, the atheist has to explain why there is any regularity in the world at all, given the fact that everything sprang into existence spontaneously out of nothing, and even our very minds are the product of time and chance acting on matter. So unlike the Bible, the atheist worldview has to make sense of the reality of the external world, and it cannot do so. So that's the second fact. Commit that to memory. And then finally, the Bible explains the reliability of our reasoning. Now, we seem to have certain truth-seeking capacities that help us make sense of the world. And these truth-seeking capacities seem to be reliable over time, like our reasoning, like our intuition, like our five senses, our eyesight, our ears, our smell, taste, touch. To quote or to paraphrase Alvin Plantinga, one of the most important philosophers of the 20th century. These faculties are key to having warrant for the things we believe. What is warrant? Warrant is a good reason. This happens when truth-seeking faculties are functioning properly in a propitious or favorable environment. Plantinga says that warrant requires cognitive faculties functioning properly, and they must be functioning in an environment, a cognitive environment, sufficiently similar to that for which the faculties were designed, 
they must be functioning according to a design plan aimed at the production of true beliefs. And he also adds that there ought to be a high statistical probability of such beliefs being true. Now, the Bible makes sense of all of this. We are designed by a creator with the intention that we would be able to make sense of our experience. Yes, we are fallen, we are sinful, we are imperfect, but we bear the image of God. And God invites and even commands us in Scripture to use our senses and our reasoning to come to know him. God has revealed facts about himself. He's revealed himself to us in such a way that we can use our reasoning and our capacities to come to know him. Yet without God's design, we actually would have no reason to trust these faculties at all. They would have just evolved to serve survival, but not the production of actual true beliefs. If God is not there and evolution is true, we're not the product of God's design, we would have no reason to trust any of our convictions. So the conditions that are needed for reasonableness to be meaningful at all rely on the Bible. And the Bible does not violate this condition. As you study the Bible, the Bible does not require you to distrust your reasoning. The Bible does not require you to disbelieve your five senses, for example. In fact, it's quite the opposite. In Scripture, we see people's five senses granting validation to their faith commitments. Think about doubting Thomas, who doubted that Jesus had come back to life, but then he used his five senses and actually put his hand in the wound in Jesus' side and in his the wounds in his hands and his feet. And he, his belief in Jesus was validated. And he even cried out, my Lord and my God. So the Bible gives these conditions for the reliability of our reasoning faculties. And it doesn't violate that condition. On the other hand, atheism provides no such basis. An atheistic universe, again, is governed by random chance. We are the products of random chance, if atheism is true. If the atheist's view of the world and life were true, he would be nothing more than Adam's. And I know there are different forms of atheism. There are some who believe in something like a soul, but just not God. But look, I was talking with my brother Parker about this before I started recording. And Parker made the point, at that point, the atheist or the materialist is just granting positions of Christianity one at a time. He's just slowly starting to come over to our worldview. You know, if you believe in the soul, where'd the soul come from? The soul makes sense in Christian uh, theism, but not in atheism. Anyway, in his essay, Miracles, the author and apologist C.S. Lewis cites the naturalist J.B.S. Haldane to this effect. Here's what he says. Quote, if my mental processes are determined wholly by the motions of atoms in my brain, this is Haldane, I have no reason to suppose that my beliefs are true. And hence, I have no reason for supposing my brain to be composed of atoms. That's quite a conundrum for the atheist, isn't it? We would have no solid, consistent reason to believe the sense data or the deliverances of our faculties or our thinking if Christian theism were not true and atheism were. Now, it's really important to remember that we are comparing worldviews here. It's not faith in the Bible versus neutrality. I've talked about neutrality on my show. You can go back and listen to a previous episode where I say 
uh, that there is no neutrality. What does no neutrality mean in apologetics? I think that's the name of the episode. So it's not faith in the Bible versus neutrality. It's rather faith in the Bible versus atheism. While the atheist might claim to be neutral, he's already ruled the God of the Bible out from the beginning. So the burden of proof is on the atheist. He has to establish how the possibility of even being reasonable makes sense within his worldview. And he has to further prove that the biblical worldview is contrary to reason. He's got to show some violation in the law, in, in the rules of reasonability or in the reality of the world around us or in the reliability of our reasoning faculties. He's got to show that internally within the Christian worldview, and it can't be done. The claims of the Bible make reasonableness a thing. When we're comparing biblical Christianity with atheism, atheism falls flat like the walls of Jericho, but the biblical worldview stands firm, stands true as a much better explanation. If atheism were true, reasonableness would be impossible. When we examine the Bible, we find that it is not unreasonable. It is perfectly reasonable. What is not reasonable and what makes the idea of reasonableness into nonsense is atheism. And you know what? The same Bible that teaches this also teaches that it is a sin to deny God. That same Bible also says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus died for sinners like you and like me and like your atheist friend. Jesus was buried and he came back to life. Today he rules from heaven and he promises to give eternal life and forgiveness of all sins to all who receive him as Savior and as Lord. So I invite every atheist and every non-Christian skeptic, nominal Christian watching to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now you know, what are the three facts then that will stop you getting stumped about your faith in the Bible? One, the Bible explains the rules. Two, the Bible explains reality. Three, the Bible explains the reliability of our reasoning. So now, do you want to grow as the worldview leader that your family and church need? Join our free community of 750 others who are getting equipped to explain, share, and defend the Christian message. Join the Think Squad. To get access to the group, all you have to do is open up Facebook, search for Think Squad, T-H-I-N-K-S-Q-U-A-D. Answer the short membership questions. That is all that it takes. Thank you for listening to Worldview Legacy. This episode was produced by yours truly, Joel Sedeckes, and is a production of the Think Institute. We equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message, and we are based by God's grace. <laughs>